Golly, it's Wednesday. You're welcome. What was that? You're welcome. With Hillary Rushford. Say it again. You're welcome. In advance. Hello, friends. Welcome back to this week's episode of the You're Welcome podcast with myself, Hillary Rushford. Last week's topic was long and deep complex, deep emotions, big questions, all of the things. So to balance it out, I thought I would follow it up with a lighter, shorter, sweeter episode also on a topic that was listener requested. And what I thought was interesting as I wrote out this list of 10 books that y'all asked that I recommend was noticing a theme. So maybe today it sparks your interest in a specific book that I mention. But I also wonder if it might make you curious to make your own list and see what comes forth from that. Because I think that we all have driving questions, like through lines and themes in our lives where there is some area, some question that we are setting out to answer. And if we are wise and intentional about it, we come at it from a lot of different angles. And it didn't occur to me until I made this list just how many angles I have come at a certain question or a query throughout my life at, and even the things that are uh, that that interest or delight us in a lighter way, I'll share a couple of those as well, there still even is a little bit of a through line. So I'm curious, maybe you take a book away that you love. Uh, Maybe you really resonate with the questions that I'm asking and it's why perhaps we share some of our favorite books in common or something really stands out to you. But it also just might be the idea of if you wrote your 10 books down, what is the through line? What does it say to you about your deep questions for yourself? So I have linked all of these in the description below. If you swipe up, that way you can click through, you can find the authors, you can know that it's the exact book. The links below, here's the deal. They are links to Amazon, and I believe we have two choices as a reader. I personally believe that our best option at all times as a reader is to buy local. I love bookshops. Amazon is notoriously very bad for authors because they get to set the price of what the book is at, and they can sometimes put that at a real discount, and that's at a disadvantage to the authors. I also grew up going to bookshops with my dad. I love going to bookshops. I do not want them to go away because of this online world that that we live in. I think that they are a beautiful place to spend a couple of hours wandering around, seeing what you discover, getting inspiration. So I personally always make the commitment to buy local unless I am shopping from a used book seller on Amazon. But here's the flip side of it. If you do buy on Amazon, just commit to writing a review because many, many people do buy books on Amazon and reviews are one of the most powerful elements to keep a book going and out there and keep supporting the author and the message. So do not shame yourself if you choose to buy from Amazon, but just commit that you're going to, it's like offsetting your carbon emissions or whatever. I don't really know enough about the environment to explain all of what that means, but Think about it like doing that. If you're not going to support local, you are still going to support the author in another way. And I'm sure when I have a book coming out, I'm going to be talking about both of these as well, that they are both really powerful ways that we can support artists, artists, authors, creatives, and creators. So my 10 books, 
Drum roll, please. Number one, if you have been here for more than five seconds, you will not be surprised that it is essentialism. Essentialism by Greg McCowan, the only book that I have read, I believe, five times at this point. Uh, the book that I have bought literally hundreds of copies of, perhaps thousands, for uh, some of my entrepreneur students over the years, and have no doubt had hundreds or thousands more of you buy as well. So, my theme that comes up all throughout these books is being exhausted, um, constantly wondering, am I doing, am I being too hard on myself or not working hard enough? Am I doing too much or am I not doing enough? And reading Essentialism, which I read in April of 2015 in Milan, Italy, sitting by myself at a little cafe, drinking a cappuccino, having a croissant. I have a photo of it if you scroll all the way back in my Instagram. I remember very few times and places where I was when I read a book, but that is one that I absolutely do. And it really was an aha for me that it was not about hustling harder. And I think that there are more messages these days about anti-hustle, but in 2015, I feel that that was really the predominant narrative, specifically in entrepreneurship, was kind of this shaming energy that you work hard, play hard, you got to want it more than anyone else, you got to wake up earlier, you're just watching too much Netflix, you got to stay up later. And I mean, I just didn't feel like I could have been working any harder and it wasn't getting any easier. I had, I told myself when I started a business, I could be crazy for three years. I was like three and a half years in, and I was like, something's gotta give because I it does not look like it is getting easier right around the corner, and this isn't sustainable. And it was the first book that I found in that quest that I just felt so seen. I felt such permission. I felt such hope that was saying, actually, if you do less, you will get further. And here is here are so many examples and applications of that. It also mentions the concept of going on a sabbatical. And I therefore decided in April 2015 that the following summer I would go on a sabbatical, which was a big other part of my healing journey and really just became a lot of the foundation for my my sort of life motto of elegant excellence uh, that we talked about a bit last week. And I have the Elegant Excellence Mastermind. I created the Elegant Excellence Goals Journal. So much for me really goes back to simplifying. So I actually did a podcast episode on essentialism. I will link that uh, below if you haven't listened to that yet. And I will also link to the uh, Elegant Excellence Goals Journal. If you do not have one of those, we are just about to release our summer collection. We have a very limited uh, amount of stock, but you can get a July, December journal. So I will link that uh, below for the waitlist. We will release it early to the waitlist people um, to give them a chance because they might sell it out before we even go public from there. So my second book, my disclaimer, is that I am only halfway through it. But I'm feeling so passionate about it, I'm going to put it on my top 10 list. And that is The Relentless Pursuit of Hurry. It has the same energy of essentialism but it's uh, a deeply Christian book. Um, it is, is a very religious book. I personally believe if you are not Christian, you can still read it and simply replace it with your beliefs and that all of the truths in there 
are universal. I don't see anything you can't get behind, even if you just believe that Jesus was a man and you simply see him as a past historical figure that you don't relate with. It is nonetheless, and I, I referenced this in last week's episode, something about we can go back and and use something from the Bible, even if it doesn't speak to us religiously or spiritually, as an ancient text to sometimes go, isn't this wild that this is what people were wrestling with a century ago? Like from the beginning of humanity, we've been wrestling with this. And yet today, I think it's because I have Instagram and I have an iPhone and, you know, we have electricity, so we stay up late at night. Like there's just all of these things that we think are the reason we have these challenges. And I always find it so powerful to go, this is not a unique to me problem. This is not a 2021 problem. This is not a modern day problem. This is a human longing, a human yearning that we we want to keep pushing we want to hurry we want to be busy we want and it is so challenging for us to slow down and really one thing that he challenges us to which i have really come to believe for myself and fight for for myself over the last year is that being too busy or being in a hurry being overly full being spread thin being being behind being too busy is an excuse that most of us do have the privilege to control. Now, I say most of us have the privilege because I want to acknowledge that there are people that are working jobs that do not pay enough to live on and are therefore having to work multiple jobs, and that is not a society that we should live in. There are some systemic gaps and issues there, or that there may be seasons in your life when Someone is in the hospital and you are needing to work overtime to not lose your job and et cetera, that we go through seasons that are excessively busy. But most of us who are blessed to not be in either of those positions, I just find for myself in having slowed down, I talked about this in our three-week series on Enough uh, just a couple weeks ago, that I am challenging myself to this year of boredom and to try to do as little as possible. I don't mean accomplish. I'm writing a book. I'm growing a business. But to notice in my off hours how easy it is to add on. And then I'm going to learn French. And then I'm going to redecorate the living room. And then I'm going to do more online shopping for clothes. And then I'm going to, you know, and just add on all this stuff. And the more that I'm like, you know what? I actually don't really have anything on my to-do list this weekend. I I just, I literally don't have anything to do today. What do I want to do with this time, seeing what's come up from it? I even just notice that it's so easy to find something else to put on our to-do list. Like if I want to fix something in, if I want to change something in my apartment, I buy something and then it doesn't work and now I have to return it. So now the return is on my to-do list and the item still has to be replaced that's on my to-do list I won't go down a rabbit hole, but Jeremy and I went through this whole thing with our bedding where he mentioned that he didn't like our bedding. So I wanted to make him happy and redo the bedding. But oh my gosh, the can of worms that we opened. And then he was like, this is not what I asked for. I didn't ask for this whole can of worms. I'm like, yes, you did. You said you didn't like the bedding. I was just trying to make you happy. But oh my gosh, if we could go back, we would be like, keep the bedding. Keep the bedding. Not worth the hours 
of the replacing and the returning and the like, well, if we don't like this and what else do we like, what else do we want to find? Let's read reviews. I mean, you just notice something like that. I'm not saying it's bad to replace your bedding, but there are times when you just realize how much time am I spending you know, searching for these reviews and all of that. And so his premise really is that when we when we are too busy, we don't have time for our spiritual life, for our personal growth. I have also realized and shared a little bit that I realized the last year because of choices I made coincidentally heading into 2020, which we did not know would become COVID, I had simplified and slowed down my business. And because of that, I've really been given the opportunity to have a lot of hours in certain seasons to research anti-racism and watch the IGTVs, read the captions, read the comments, where if I go back a few years ago when I was so spread thin as a new entrepreneur, I just think I didn't have these hours. I just would not have been able to do this. So I think that essentialism to me is like the grandfather, even though it's only like you know, 10 years old maybe, but it is kind of the the gold star to me of laying the foundation and then relentless pursuit of hurry says, I want to challenge you to take this even deeper for your, your spiritual life, for your soul. Again, whatever that means for you religiously or spiritually, I truly think that his message there is universal. Number three is, and these are not in order, by the way. This was just kind of like the way the list came out. It's not a ranking. Um, number three is how to do nothing. This is a book that I bought because I loved the title and I loved the cover. The cover, I'm looking at it right now on my bookshelf, the cover is florals. It's pinks and reds and greens. It's all my Cartagena wedding colors. And it's it's just a bouquet of flowers. It's gorgeous. Um, truth be told, it's a lot more academic book <laughs> once you get inside than the cover would lead you to believe. Um, I do not say this negatively about the author, but I think she is, she works at a university. She is an academic. And I don't know if her intention was to make it a mass market book. So it, it took me a long time to get into this book. It took me lots of stops and starts because it wasn't just that instantly readable nature. But And a lot of times it's like I'd have to reread the paragraph multiple times to be like, what is she really saying? I had to really think about it. Whereas essentialism is very easy to consume. Relentless pursuit of hurry, very easy to consume. How to do nothing took took a little bit longer, but I'm grateful that I did make it through because it has its own perspective on how to do less, that really her how to do nothing is not the same. Well, maybe to an extent. I don't really think her thing, though, is like my year of boredom. It's more about noticing how much of what we do is about buying, spending, consumerism, um, how much is sort of built into that whole marketing culture and um, it. Yeah, it was just a more academic take on it. So I would say it sort of is the like like the anti-religion Berkeley progressive sort of vision on essentialism 2.0. It's just a very different perspective from pursuit of hurry, but I value them both because as I said, this is my core question. I want to live a spacious life. 
I want to live a slow life. I don't want to be anxious. I don't want to be exhausted. I want to be really emotionally and mentally healthy, but I want to live an extraordinary life. I I am an entrepreneur. I'm a creative. I am am passionate about issues in the world. So it's not about let me just move to the country and work at the corner store and have like the simple life for me. It's more so the complication of how can I create a life that has all of this complexity. I'm I'm doing the more challenging, unique, fulfilling career that most people won't ma- won't make the leap or aren't called to the complexity of while simultaneously not giving into the hustle and exhaustion of it. And that that tension, that and uh, is really where my question comes from. The fourth book, along the same lines, is Burnout, written by twin sisters. Like I wouldn't say it's hilarious, but definitely a giggle out loud book. It was a very enjoyable read. I really enjoy these two um, sisters and uh, they're twins, I believe, and they just come from very different backgrounds. They both have beautiful perspectives that they bring to it. And again, it's more about doing less. I would say this is the specifically female perspective, not that it doesn't apply to men. I just felt like it was very directed towards women and the previous three books felt very gender neutral, but it includes more practical applications for how to recover from having done too much. So I feel like essentialism is, the message of essentialism is do less to have a better life, to be more fulfilled, to have more impact, to succeed more, to be overall happier. And then once we're on board with that, relentless pursuit of hurry is do less to also have a more spiritual life. Let's go even one notch beyond a better life and really free up that time for contemplation and thought and personal exploration. How to Do Nothing says, let's also do less for a more conscious consumerism life. Let's let's think about the real big picture application of our cities and our states and our countries and our supply chains and how how doing less is kind of a revolutionary act that that betters our our neighbors and our neighborhoods. And then burnout says, let's also do less for a healthier life physically and mentally. If we have done too much, as we read these books that educate and empower and compel us to do less, we also might just be physically burnt out and need to recover from that. Book number five is Lost Connections, which is on the causes of depression and anxiety. I would say this is about what happens to us when we don't do less. We get burnt out. It may be level number one but in the last book, but even below that is it may get so bad that we experience depression and anxiety because we are too busy to get connected. We are so busy, we feel disconnected. We're too busy to explore why we're unhappy. So we look to medication to help us. And by the way, I'm not vilifying medication. The author is someone who took medication for years and truly believed that it was the answer and set out to write a book about that. And Spoiler alert, through his discoveries, 
ends up far more compelled by what is it about us that needs this medication in the first place and believing that there actually are are more roots to that even if medication serves you for uh for a time so i did a three part series on that book that's how into that book I was. So that part, that I will also link below if you want to listen to those where we looked at the seven different reasons that he breaks out and we talked about each one of them and, and what the application is for us. Book six is Untamed by the glorious Glennon Doyle. This book is so readable. I read so many chapters to Jeremy out loud where I was just like, I have to read you this one. Can I read you one more? I just need to tell you this story. Um, it's it's so relatable. There's so many stories. It's such an easy, delightful read. Her way with words and language, just so beautiful. But I would say this is really about the ahas of the effects of expectations and pressure on women. You know, why are we doing too much in the first place? Why are we pushing or putting this pressure on ourselves or putting ourselves into these boxes? So again, this is kind of a specifically female take in my perspective of not doing less, but less trying to be enough. Which, I, which is still a posture of less, less pressure, less expectation, and pulling back more of those layers from patriarchy and stories of our childhood and how we can parent well from that perspective. So again, it stays along those lines of, I want to create space to be able to just breathe more and be more of who I am. Number seven is Super Attractor by Gabby Bernstein. One of the core themes in that is do less, attract more. Did I mention that there was a theme? Because <laughs> pretty much every book has the two words, do less. <laughs> um, do less, but better. Do less, like, you know, create more space. Do less, be a better human. Do less, be... Uh, be physically and mentally healthier. Do less, have less mental health struggles. Um, do less of the expectations everyone puts on you that can feel overwhelming. This one, it with you know, do less, attract more. It is a a spiritual book from a different perspective. It's not a Christian or religious book. So to the uh, hurry book that I said, hey, if you're not Christian, you might need to put on a different lens to read this. I would say to Christians you'll put on a different lens to read this. I am not uh, I am not easily offendable personally about my faith. I can read something that has a different faith and be like, no worries, that works for you. I'm just going to read it through my lens. So when I read Super Attractor, I read it as a much more Christian book than the actual words on the page because that's just my worldview. So when she says, you know, guardian angels, I say Holy Spirit. And great, but I can still take out what I believe in there are the universal truths. I love that book. I uh, would like to read it for a second time. It's, an, it's one that I read, I think, in two days. You know, I actually will. I'm going to make a note. I'm going to put that one in the um, in the description below as well, the episode on 22 Steps to Feel Better in a Day. That came out of having read that book um, and just really turned around a, a specific personal situation I was having in my life. 
personal struggle. So I will link that below that that's another one that I just really remember where I was. It was a Saturday. Something had happened on Friday night. Jeremy was out of town. I put that in my ears. By the way, about, I have listened to one, two, I've listened to four out of the 10 of these on Audible. And I think that just might be something to uh, consider if by any chance you feel like you don't have a lot of time to read nonfiction books or you don't have a window for it. But obviously you like podcasts because you're here. So there are times when reading a nonfiction book on audiobook allows me to be walking on an airplane, you know, doing doing chores around the house kinds of things and consuming it. Sometimes if I really want to take in the content, I will sit there and take notes. That's what I've been doing with the uh, Pursuit of Hurry book is I'm listening, but I have my journal open. And so I'm writing down a lot of things. There's other times when a book is really powerful, I gotta be able to underline it. Like I've I've used a different color highlighter every time I go through essentialism because I'm that much of a nerd and I see what different things stand out to me. So I love having that intangible form. The Lost Connections book, I... I, I obviously I did a three-part podcast series on it. I mean, I felt like there was so much information in that. I had so many things. I actually had to say, I'm not going to underline this because the whole book will be underlined. So I'm just going to read it. And then I will come back and I will scan it again and I will fi- will will leave little, I had little like sticky post-its <laughs> on what the things were that I wanted to talk about on the podcast because there was so much. So sometimes... I will listen to a nonfiction book on audiobook, and then if I love it, I'll just also pick up the physical copy of it and reread it or be able to go back and underline because I need things multiple times in order to really stick with me. The things that are, I mean, as I said, these are all along the same lines. And so when when this is the big question of my life, I it's going to keep coming up. <laughs> You know, I, I, hearing something one time is not going to be like, oh, that's the answer to that. It's not just a factual thing. Like, you know what? I didn't factually know that. And now I do. Instead, it's my my scarcity mindset is going to come back up. My anxiety, my perfectionism, my, so I need to keep adding this, this information to my tool belt where the thoughts are more readily accessible. And so in in works like this that are really powerful, I often will read them a second time and underline, highlight, et cetera. And sometimes they're so good in the beginning that I'm like, I, I can't do it or I will just like underline everything. So let me just allow myself, just take it all in. It's fine that you're going to miss some of it because you're going to listen to it again or you're going to reread it or you're listening to the audiobook and then you're going to get the uh the physical book or you're getting you're reading the physical book and then you're going to listen to the audiobook and let it sink in more. But when you think about how much work goes into a book. I mean, I shared last week's episode. I spent 3 hours recording that script and then however long the episode was, and I had already spent a week really consuming and, and and being curious and having conversations around that broader topic. But when my style book comes out, I will have spent a decade exploring that one topic and then years saving up ideas for it and then months writing a first draft for it. So I also really think as I love 
podcasts and this really conversational medium. But I also said to you last week, hey, I've spent a lot of time working on this script. And I guarantee you, there's going to be things that I disagree with myself on before too long because I'm going to unpack. It's a complex issue and I'm going to see it from different angles. Now, I reserve the right to do the same thing with my style book. There's no way that I'm going to write a book in 2021 that come 2031, I don't have a fresh idea on it. I mean, that I would be pretty disappointed in my brain, my creativity, and my personal growth if I was like, yeah, I don't have anything new. Wouldn't, wouldn't change a thing. <laughs> so that doesn't mean that we're not going to evolve on those. But I really do think when you find a book that speaks to you, there is value in returning to it again and again. Because often a book has been years in the making um, and, and does have so much of that depth. So... Number seven was Super Attractor. Now we're into three that are lighter ones, but I think that there still is a little bit of correlation even in some of the lighter things that we're interested in. So eight is How to Be Parisian. This is a book I read years ago, but it came to mind because I read it, I believe, in one sitting. I was on an airplane, excuse me, and I just was like, just kept flipping through it. It was just really delightful. And I think that what came to mind with me is I came to mind for me as I thought about this concept of doing less is that I think Americans are especially hard on ourselves. And there is more ease in a lot of European cultures. And as I pondered that, I mean, I think it's, it's very, it feels very poetic to me that I read Essentialism in Italy, one of those you know, little Chivita, you know, the the sweet life, something dolce far niente from Eat, Pray, Love, where it's like the 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 sweetness of doing nothing. Um dolce far niente, something like that. So in some ways, I this book occurred to me and I thought maybe there are more French, Italian, maybe there are more books from other countries on this kind of concept of the sweet life and ease and prioritizing, you know, they take longer holidays and they take longer afternoons and they spend more time with their people and somehow they seem to eat all the cheese and bread and drink all the wine and yet be in better shape than most Americans. So what, you know, there is something to their ease or they're spending more of their time walking around and being outdoors and we're sitting on computers. So while How to Be Parisian is kind of a light, quippy, cheeky, sassy book, I still think that there's something to that vibe of the ease. The I feel like French women tend to be more easy in their fashion, their beauty, their eating, it feels like there is a, I would say French fashion is do less. They wear less color. They wear less accessories. They wear less makeup. Um, and so I think that there is just a general, even those light things that we can be interested in as a fun read, we might be like, but the through line is still here. It's about ease. It's about lightness. And as that came up for me, I thought, okay, maybe are there other European books along these lines that I could think of? If you have any ideas, please let me know on Instagram. But when you're making your own list, just noticing what comes up, even if they are more of a fun read. Which is true of number nine, Why Not Me by Mindy Kaling. 
Um, I also believe that I read her Why Is Everyone Hanging Out Without Me years ago, but I don't really recall it. I just happened to listen to her audiobook a few months ago um, while violently ill for days, and I just felt so miserable from uh, vomiting from a stomach bug that I didn't have COVID, but Jeremy and I had eaten something, and um, I just wanted to lay in bed in the dark and just listen to something to take my mind off it, and so I started this Mindy Kaling book, and I think that there is you know, I resonate with she's entrepreneurial and creative, and really her mindset is what opened a lot of doors for her. A lot of time, she didn't have the traditional career path, and a lot of it took having faith in herself and being willing to think outside the box and um, and leap outside the box. And I I resonate with that. As I said, I want to both do less and have an extraordinary life. I don't desire to be celebrity famous like she is, but there is a lot of commonality of wanting to be fulfilled and creative and kind of have a grounded confidence and also to have a life of more joy. And so sometimes even just the fact that I like to, I note that I like to read joyful books just says to me, joy is a value of mine. Joy is something that I want more in life. And I, that comes out in some of my favorite nonfiction books. And finally, Stories I Only Tell My Friends by Rob Lowe, which I consumed completely different to being prostrate in a dark room trying not to vomit with Mindy Kaling. I was literally lying on a rainbow unicorn float in a pool the whole time that I listened to Rob Lowe. Um, you may recall we were pandemic in Phoenix in a random Airbnb this time last year and um, sort of the precursor to the year of boredom was what really came up being in Phoenix for us. Unlike many of you, we don't have kids. We weren't frontline workers. We weren't working overtime. Um, we were in a random town. There was nowhere to go. We're not going to go to dinner. We're not going to uh, go shopping. We're not going to go to movies. I mean, we were just all inside trying to social distance from one another. And so we went into weekends for the first time being like, what are we going to do all weekend? And you may recall, I called it my big marker list. I would like get out a piece of paper and a big colored marker and I would just write in big block letters, like float in the pool, go for a walk, do a puzzle. Like I was really just being like, here are the options of things that we have to do this weekend. But it ended up kind of inspiring. Actually, once you've done that for a while, is there something that comes up, you know, at the end of it. So one thing that I loved about this book, which I've already shouted out previously on the podcast, is he did not speak negatively of anyone. It just didn't feel like you were getting any, there was no tea being spilled to harken back to the theme of last week's episode where it just wasn't negative. It was all positive. Everyone he met, he had something positive to say. And if he did have negative run-ins with celebrities, he didn't put them in the book. And so it just felt very positive. And there as well, just being inspired by different times when he had closed doors and creative heartbreaks and to see that that, that sometimes is the pursuit of a creative life. And um, while my path is going to be different than his, again, I don't want a Hollywood life uh, per last week's episode. I do not want that level of critique. But to notice there is in his story, his life seems to demonstrate joy, ease, affluence of creativity, 
inspiring colleagues. And so that just shows us things that we are interested in. It tells us something about ourselves. We talk about this in the Elegant Excellence Goals Journal, uh, which again, I'll link below if you don't have one. But we talk about going back and there's a, a bunch of questions that we ask on things that inspire us and books, TV shows, Instagram accounts, those kinds of things where we're just pulling out, what does this say about what my daydreams are? What do my daydreams say about what I value, what I'm attracted to? And that rather than seeing that as like, well, I'm never going to be Rob Lowe. You're like, well, unless you wanted to be an actor, you probably don't want to be Rob Lowe. But there is something in there that you you are resonating with and let's pull that out and then work to add that into your life without you ever having to be an actor, uh, famous, um, you know, anything like that. Um, I have two bonus books quickly for my entrepreneurs. Number one is The E-Myth, The E-Myth Revisited. It is a book from the 90s, not as old as the Bible that we were talking about earlier, but nonetheless, I think that it is powerful because of it still resonates so much today when I have my mastermind students read it. And it was before Instagram. It was before the age of the digital online business. And it really says these challenges that you're having, you're not just having because of Facebook ads and Pinterest and should you join Clubhouse and be on TikTok and all of this. These challenges that you're having of being overly full and spread too thin are inherent of entrepreneurship. And even before this whole internet game existed, they were still there. And I, again, I just find that so reassuring. I, this is one, I remember exactly where I was. I was sitting on the uh, East River here in New York when I lived in Long Island City. I was sitting on the water and I just wanted to scream, why did no one tell me to read this book earlier? I felt like, for the first time, I didn't feel crazy. I think I read it really early on in my business, like year one or two, and I just felt so insane. And I just underlined the heck out of it and felt like, oh my gosh, I get that I'm I'm, I'm not crazy. I'm not weird. This is entrepreneurship. And so I think that that validity can just be such an anchor for us at different times to realize this is part of the human condition. This is part of this general experience and I am, may not be easy, but I am normal in that way. And the other one is my ebook, which I never talk about, but it came up recently in my mastermind. And I wrote this book after my first two years in entrepreneurship. It's called The Four Part Entrepreneur Cocktail. And it basically is a diary of my first two and a half years in business. It shares every six months. How big was my following? Where did it come from? How much money had I made? What was my profit? What was my my expenses? Exactly what did I spend money on? You know, how many followers did I have on every platform? I just tried. I have literal screenshots all throughout of my diary. I, I had an online journal at the time and was really just trying to, to capture the experience of those early years of entrepreneurship. We have we don't really have it on the website. We have not shared it far and wide because it was originally created to be a PDF and it has so many links in it that are old and outdated and per essentialism. It is just not my highest point of contribution to take my hours to reformat that. So I'm going to share that as a link here because it was 
basically my mastermind girls ended up asking me some questions about early on in business and I couldn't remember. So I grabbed the book off the shelf. I, I have the only tangible copy of it. And I just said, I, I'm going to talk to my team and figure out how can we get you a link where you can get this. And I just need you to forgive me and ignore all of the links that don't work, but I don't want you to miss the meat in this. So I'm still not out there going to promote this publicly, but I feel like those of you that get to the end of a podcast episode are like the uh, the inside crew. So I will put that in the link below, but if you are an entrepreneur, I would highly recommend that. It's literally $7 and um, it has blessed a lot of people. So I am curious to hear what your themes are when you make this list for yourself or if something even just springs forth through listening to mine, if you would share that list or some of your favorite books or any of the books that I recommended that you love on your Instagram stories and tag me, I think that we are always looking for uh, more book recommendations. I think book lovers love a good book recommendation. Just by being here, I know that you are a fellow growth-oriented, growth-minded person. You want to get better. Um, you, you want to work through your issues. But also, our time is limited, and we do want to be wise about what we invest our time and energy into. And so even something like watching a documentary, a TV show, reading a nonfiction book, or a novel, when we get recommendations, it can help us feel a little bit more confident about saying, okay, I'm going to invest my, my time into that. So I hope that today's episode blessed you. Thank you for asking the question to the listener that did. And as a girl who... Grew up with a father who has a 10,000 book library in our home. It has been a joy to talk books with you today. Oh, wait. One more thing. Don't miss this. Before you go, love. P.S. Something I'm loving lately, speaking of books, is a novel. The novel is called When No One Is Watching. It is a hard novel to read, but it is a good hard. I'm going to try to unpack that for you because... There are a lot of films in the world that are critically acclaimed that I know would be so educational, insightful, informative, emotional to watch, and I struggle to watch hard films. I pretty much don't watch any of them. Um, I consume a lot already of articles, of I, I tend to do a little bit better in short form, I think. A podcast episode, an IGTV, a post on Instagram where I can, it's hard, but I can digest it bit by bit. So just for you to kind of know where I'm coming from on hard topics. And I would highly recommend this novel. Um, I didn't cry. I think that's also just important when we're talking about what does a hard thing mean. Prior to this, I read a much fluffier, just modern novel and um I wept like like crying on the side of the bathroom tub at three in the morning and I kind of wish I'd skipped that book because I just didn't really need to like cry over random fictional characters and like a rom-com kind of thing so there's that where I'm sort of like I mean if you want a good cry read this other one this one wasn't a crying it was a a lot of deep breathing about present day realities of racism set in Brooklyn, and it specifically takes place on a street that reminds me so much of the street that Jeremy and I lived on before we moved to our current apartment. Um, it, it, it isn't that it's it literally I I'm pretty positive it is designed uh, to be set one neighborhood over from us. 
our neighborhood was more gentrified when we moved there, but it really is about the gentrification of neighborhoods. And I'm sure it resonated much more with me because of living in Brooklyn. But I know so many of you love New York who follow me that I think that that would be fascinating. And I learned things about the history of racism in this city that I had not uh, considered before, that I did not know. There are references in the back that I now want to go research more things from. So I was very educational. It was also just so well written. It was really a cliffhanger to the end. It's kind of, um, it's it's a thriller. Um, I will also say I saw an article shared when I was right in the middle of it about Black authors, the, 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 the complex reality of Black authors reliving trauma for entertainment. And I, I thought that that made a lot of sense. I think it's one thing to be really coming from an educational perspective, and we still acknowledge all of the, the labor and intensity of that if you're writing a nonfiction book, if you were teaching on Instagram, but sort of the, the blend that it's a novel and it's a thriller. And so it's kind of escapist, but it's also very rooted in reality. And so that... That article just left me a little bit not sure quite how to speak about this book and how to represent it. It It's hard to be like, oh my gosh, it was such a good read when you're like, it's so real. This is absolutely happening today. And if I had read it a few years ago, I don't know that it would have hit me as intently as 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 being more awake over the last year. So I would say it was very hard to read, but on the other hand, there is a sense in reading it that it's something that we can change and that we are working to change. And I think in that way, it's like it felt intense because it's happening now, but it also felt a little more hopeful because I see more people leaning in to say, we don't want this to be the case. So I don't want to sound naive, but I do think the more that we bring light to darkness, we change it. And this book was written prior to George Floyd. I believe it was published in early 2020, which means that she would have had to write it probably back in 2018. Um, But it feels very timely. And I just highly recommend it. So I hope that this mini little book that is every single podcast episode has blessed you. I would be so grateful if you would swipe up, leave a quick review, share this or any episode that speaks to you with your family, your friends, your Facebook groups, your Instagram stories, tag me. And I can't wait to hear um, what comes up for you after this and every episode. So we'll see you back here next week with grace and gumption. Till next Wednesday.